What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview entrepreneurs on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is David Callejas, the founder of Float On Boat Rentals. He has combined his love of people with his knack for marketing and technology to build one of the most fun and up and coming brands here in the ATX. I've been fortunate enough to work closely with David and witness firsthand the Float On family he has built and the amazing experiences they give their customers. So whether you are looking for a day out on the lake with your family or want to celebrate a bachelor or a birthday party, Float On is your way to go. So let's send a warm welcome as we all float on and welcome David to the show. Super excited to be sitting here with David. I don't want to butcher your last name. Um, I'll let you introduce yourself. But David from Float on Boat Rentals, he's one of my best friends here in Austin, Texas, runs a badass company out on the lake. So if you're listening to this right now, I highly recommend uh, you check out their company, Float on Boat Rentals. But I'll let David introduce himself and we'll kick this right off. Yeah, what's up, CJ? What's up, everybody? My name is David Callejas. I was... uh Born and raised here in Austin, Texas, father of parents. <laughs> Sorry, I already messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. No, his his little boy is super cute. Um, but let's kick it right off. This dude was literally chilling on the lake yesterday with FC Austin. So tell us a little bit about what your day in the life looks like being the owner of a boat rental company. Is it always driving around with FC Austin and people like that, or is a little bit more that goes into it? <laughs> I wish it was that. Those are some of the highlights. You know, I was actually hanging out with the head coach, the assistant coach, the director of scouting. Really good time. They were kind of scoping out the lake, seeing if it'd be a good place to have their kickoff to the season party before next year. So super fun time. I was actually telling them though, that I don't get to really go on the lake a lot during the summer. So a lot of my time is spent behind the scenes managing the team you know, managing our managers, really making sure that our company continues to grow and continue to head in the right direction. So although that is one of the highlights of the summer, it is not a true picture of the day-to-day of the life of David. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people, when they start a business, don't really understand that they see the flash and everything that goes on. And the reality of it is there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. And that's where I'd really love to dig into how the heck did you even get to float on. So I, I know your story and how there is a journey behind that. Um, but I'd love for our audience to kind of hear what was your, I guess, spearhead into the world of entrepreneurship? What did it look like? Well, I was definitely, you know, I went to school down at Texas State, got my degree in marketing and business. While I was there, I was dabbling in some of the entrepreneurship clubs. You know, we were spinning around ideas and getting into it like once a week, trying to figure things out. But it seemed well, like, what initially drew you to that club or those clubs? I think it was just, I don't know. I really don't know. It was just always in my nature to kind of do my own thing. And I was always very entrepreneurial. You know, I was the kid that was selling candy bars door to door for the soccer team, killing it. I was the guy <laughs> that got together with the street kids and we started painting addresses on everybody's curb, trying to make 10, 20, 30 bucks. It was just always in my blood. And so 
around school, you know, I was, I was in the business school over there, the McCoy College of Business, super nice building that they had just built when I was there. And in between classes, you know, they would always talk about extracurricular things you can do. And about the only thing that really drew my attention was some of the entrepreneurship clubs and going in there and thinking of ideas and really putting pen to paper and seeing those ideas kind of take off within the school program was pretty neat. It didn't really take me anywhere because as soon as I graduated, just like everybody else, I started looking for a job. Um, it was around 08, 09, whenever we had the recession going on, a lot of people were struggling to find jobs. I, I ended up at Wells Fargo as a personal banker and, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize that, man, I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't do this for the rest of my life. There's got to be Where were you a personal else. banker at? Well, Wells Fargo, but in, in tech, near, around Texas yeah, State Wells or Fargo here in Austin? Yeah, and Round Rock, actually. Round Rock, okay. Yeah, so I got hired. It was like my first, you know, grown-up job, <laughs> my first time I could use my degree, I was so excited to wear my I suit. cannot see you in a fucking <laughs> banker's outfit, man. Suit and tie. It's funny, I didn't I did not know this. And yeah. it's it's weird because like my first like grown up job outside of college was UBS wealth management. So working at a bank and yeah. um it's an interesting how it comes full circle. How long were you actually at Wells Fargo? I wanna say like a year and a half and I mean I really kicked ass there. I was doing a good job, you know, everything they were asking, but Actually, it was during the time where they've now been in the spotlight lately because they were doing so many shady things to try to push sales. Yeah. You know, so that was really, it was when I was there. It was like 09, 2010. They were getting in big trouble. Our managers constantly wanted more sales, more sales, more sales. It was never enough. It was never enough. And I really didn't believe in what I was doing. You know, I thought of the bank as more of a place where you help service people. You know, you don't need five checking accounts to be financially successful. Yeah. <laughs> and so to me, it was all wrong, but you know, I was just doing my job and doing what they wanted me to do. And I was good at it, but they didn't really give me, you know, the, the platform to be creative or the platform to, you know, really get in depth. That didn't incentivize you with why you're actually doing it in the first place. Yeah. And so while I was there and it was making money and it seemed like the right thing to do, you know, I was always keeping my options open. And so around that time, I stumbled across a really cool nonprofit that I still work for here in town called Earthsky Communications. And so I went and met with the owner and she seemed like How did you, know, you how did you get in contact with them? So it was actually through my best friend dated the owner's daughter. And so at the time they worked a lot off grants and like National Science Foundation grants. And so whenever you work with these big multi-million dollar grants, you know, everything is already pre-planned you know, the positions are pre, you know, set up. And so all it was, was like, Hey, by next month, we need to hire a bilingual marketing person. You know, do you know anybody? And then, you know, my best friend, Josh immediately thought of me and called me. and was like, Hey, our guy's looking for a bilingual marketing person to join their team. You should go check it out. It seems like a really cool nonprofit, you know, real cool Austin vibe, a little bit different than the bank environment that you're in. And at the time I thought, well, I tried banking and I tried this real world job but my degree is in marketing. So let's go see what this is about. You know, maybe I can learn a thing or two while I'm there. And so I, you know, went on a couple of interviews, finally got the job offer, put in my two weeks at the bank. They were really sad. They couldn't really understand why. And then once I got to Earth Sky, man, it was just fantastic because I got there and 
I was essentially just put in charge of like a small, you know, little department where we would reach out to our National Science Foundation partners, a lot of NPR stations. And I just got to start, you know, relationship building and representing our brand and talking to a lot of people out there, even though I didn't know anything about science and radio, you know, I was a good people person. And so making those phone calls was super easy. And around that time, I started leveraging technology, you know, in our favor for the company, something they had never even done. So we when I first got there, they gave me a list of like a hundred radio stations and they're like, it's probably going to take you forever to call all these radio stations, but we need to find out how often we're being aired and how many times, you know, throughout the day and how long all the data that we could then compile and we could then send off to the national science foundation. Well, at the time they were paying for Salesforce, which is, you know, huge database, tons of technology, but nobody was using it. They were just picking up the phone. They're like, Oh, I'd be surprised if you get a hold of like three or four in a day. Well, I was able to just dabble in there and through technology, I could reach out to like 3000 in a day and then just wait for the replies to start coming in. And they just started coming in. And so, well, you know, they were blown away by how quickly I was able to reach out to like their whole nationwide list of contacts. And, you know, one thing led to another and the owner kept giving me more and more opportunities to kind of learn on the job and leverage technology in different ways. And how old were you when you were like, when you made this transition? uh, I must've been like 23 or something like that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, And it's the reason I asked that is because a lot of people out there think that, I mean, you pivoted hardcore and probably never thought that you would find yourself at Wells Fargo and at a bank. And then a year and a half, you get into it and you're just like, eh, this isn't for me. And then you completely pivoted over to like the opposite spectrum of a nonprofit science organization, but you still did the number one thing that I recommend anybody do is figure out where to be valuable, how to be valuable to that company. And you mentioned that you have a marketing degree. I'd love to understand a little bit because we, we're always, even before this podcast, we were talking shop on like so many different ideas and how, how we grow those ideas and market those ideas. What initially attracted you to the marketing side of things and, and getting your degree in marketing? I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but I think it was almost just a process of elimination. Like, I don't want to be a finance guy. I don't want to be a management <laughs> guy. Marketing seems cool. Like, you know, driving business seems cool. It's kind of like sales. I was, I was, you know, I have a bloodline of sales in my family. My brother sells cars. My other brother sells cars. You know, my cousin sells insurance. And so we're, we're very charismatic people, people. And so it just, it seemed to fit in line with marketing. And once I started, you know, in school, it's hard. Like you don't actually get to dive into marketing until like year three or four, you know, the first couple of years you're just taking, you know, history. Yeah. Yeah, All the prereqs. And so I chose the degree early on and I was one of those that just kind of wrote it out and stuck with it. And once it got to be in like in the business school every day, doing like these sales presentations with teams, like a lot of the things that scare people, you know, really motivated me and I enjoyed them. Like I enjoyed getting off with my team of four and, you know, doing this huge semester long assignment on like Hyundai Motors, I remember was a big part of it. And then standing in front of the classroom and presenting all these findings. So a lot of the sales and people things and, you know, driving business, a lot of that interested me and it was really cool to get a, you know, an educational background on that and dive deeper into like what it is that companies try to do, you know, with their marketing and like all the strategies behind it. And, you know, like just things that you don't think about, like when you go to the movies and there's obviously a Coke commercial and it makes you buy a Coke before the movie, it's like all that stuff is not, you know, by accident, obviously it's all pre-planned. And so to get a little bit into the mind of some of these big corporations and why they do certain things and how they do it, it just... It interested me at first, and the more I learned about it, it just kept interesting me and kept interesting me until, you know, 
still to this day, I'm still learning a lot about marketing and what, and what would be, so what would be your recommendation to somebody else out there that has an interest in marketing? Cause you've obviously, you've had the school experience and the, the real life experience put yourself in someone's shoes right now that's young, up and coming, what would your advice to them be around how do they start marketing and get into marketing? What what would you recommend is like the number one way for someone to dive into that lane? You know, to me, marketing goes hand in hand with sales. And I learned a lot in college because I worked at a car dealership and I sold cars. And so if you go out there and work at a car dealership, if you could sell a car to somebody, you could probably sell anything. And so once you get into sales and learning out the sales process and learning how little it is about the actual product you're selling and more about like what questions you're asking and more about like taking charge of the conversation and you know all the strategies that go into a sale, I think are a big part, at least in being successful in marketing. I don't know if it'll drive your interest further in marketing, but once you're like, on the ground selling, you know, you understand a lot about, you know, what goes into it. I love that answer because a lot of marketing, and this is what people don't understand, is getting out and understanding your customer. It's reverse engineering down. What is it your customer is talking about? What do they want? What are their problems? What are their pain points? And a lot of today is people sitting behind screens trying to just analyze data rather than sitting with the customer. And something I think you represent so well is like always sitting with the customer at the sales end of things. But then if you're able to connect the sales and the marketing, and a lot of companies don't connect sales and marketing, which is where Float On crushes it, is because your sales and your marketing is so integrated where you know what your customers want, what they do for a living, where they're at. I mean, cookies showed up here one day um, from you. So like, you know, and like my whole team loves cookies. So like just little touch points like that, where you're making sales based on really good marketing and that takes the pressure off your sales team. Um, so anybody listening out there, his, his advice, definitely take that and run with it because if, if you want to learn how to market, just go try and sell something and then see what your rebuttals are. And I think a lot of people fear being told no, rather than I think a lot of no's help your marketing. Because when someone says no, I have a chance to ask why. And once they tell me why, I can then implement that into the marketing side of things. But let's shift this conversation a little bit. I'd love to understand, so you're at Earth Sky at this nonprofit. When did you start creating your own things? So I was at Earth Sky, I'd probably been there about two years, and I had really transitioned my role from marketing to radio stations and figuring out the science podcast more so to trying to monetize our website. This seemed like forever ago, you know, before it was the obvious choice to monetize our website. I can't believe I'm sitting here now <laughs> in 2020, you know, remembering what it was like. Like I would, I would have to pull a report of projected earnings on our website and bring it to the board. You know, nonprofits are, it's tough to just like go yeah. talk to whoever's in charge. You know, there's like 10 people in charge. You know, I'll backtrack a little bit. The number one thing was I was able to leverage technology, so I freed up my time. And so I was able to do what they thought would take me eight hours in a day in about one hour. And so what was I going to do with that other seven hours? You know, a lot of people would probably just sit around. The chive was big back then. I could just be on the chive <laughs> all day long messing around. You know, that's what I could have been Dude, doing. Dude, I got on the chive one, one time <laughs> and in, in, on spring break. Like, we had a total sidebar conversation, but I think it adds value to this. All right. Um, we literally were in spring break and we had like a 60 foot beer bong uh, that we put at 
we, we were on the sixth floor and we made it and like literally like everyone was surrounding the, the beer bong because they wanted to be on this. And we took a picture and it like went up on the chive. Oh, sweet. Based on that beer bong. So yes, there were people doing that. <laughs> exactly what you said, but you're a hustler. So what were you doing with those seven hours that I guess eventually led to something? Well, it did start by browsing the chive. And then I was like, holy smokes, like these people are putting out this blog of entertaining content and they're probably monetizing it, you know, in a way to make it its own little thing. And so I noticed that Earth Sky had a podcast, they had a radio series, you know, they had these National Science Foundation grants, and we started dabbling in corporate sales at the time. So we had corporate deals with like, you know, a few of the big science corporations like Dow Chemical, Shell Oils. And, you know, they were just ignoring their website, the website was going, and it was up because I think the National Science Foundation paid for it to be there. Other than that, that was it. And so I started making a real push, you know, every week, every month, like, hey guys, this website's here. Let's pay more attention to the website. Hey, we're, our traffic's going up. Let's pay more attention to the website. And then it, you know, I convinced them to start paying more attention to the website. And it wasn't until like six months, seven months later that they finally introduced ads to the website. That was a big hurdle for us. Um, we were worried as a nonprofit that people were going to portray our website and our content differently if they were, you know, shoved ads down their face. Basically, they were really concerned with that, you know, the board at Earth Sky. And, you know, one thing led to another. And the person that really started taking notice in my hustle basically was the owner and who better than to take yeah. notice in the owner of a company. And so it wasn't like we introduced ads, we started killing it, we started making money. And, you know, Deborah Bird, who I owe a lot of my success to is the owner and the founder of Earth Sky, you know, really noticed me. And she saw an opportunity to kind of phase out everything she had done for the past 20 years and focus on the website. So she's always been a visionary. You know, she's like, wow, David's coming in here once a week, pitching this website ads, talking about website ads. You know, back in the day, it was like, oh, we made like $40 last week on our website. And, you know, fast forward to 2020, last month, we made a hundred grand on the website. And so it's like, she saw the vision and she pulled me into her office one day and she was like, hey, David, I really like what you're doing. I like what's going on with this website. Like, what do you think if we just shut everything at Earth Sky down and just focus on the website? Could you see a future of us, you know, surviving on just website monetization? And yeah, digital? so basically she saw the future, like where things were going with your, obviously the data that you were bringing her, power to her for like seeing that. Because there's a lot of people that were so resistant I mean, even five years ago, even now, like I'll go on the companies, uh, small businesses that are so resistant to leveraging technology to help them get to that next level. Because I believe that anybody can do it. If you, if you find the market, like leveraging the ability to drive traffic on a website and then monetize a website. And I think you can speak to this in your side of things is the thing that I've found is like, I don't know why monetizing your website or monetizing these things has a bad rap because yeah. if you are able to make money there, you can then level up your impact in other areas, like in legitimate areas. So if you're making money digitally off your website, you can then hire people, employ them. So putting people to work, um, run events, do community engagements. There's all these possibilities just if you learn how to monetize this one area, which I think a lot of people aren't. So I know it wasn't that easy though. It wasn't just one day you come in and you pitch it and they're like, yeah, this is going to be great. So how did that kind of transition? So there was employees, there was podcasts, there was everything. What did it look like to kind of downturn this thing? Even though it was a downturn, it sounds like it started getting spun up in a different way. So run us through like kind of 
the time frame of how long did it take to kind of turn the company down in one way, but turn it up in the other way? I mean, it was like, I think she saw the vision about two years before. So back to like, you know, working with nonprofits and working under grants, you know, there's timetables, you know, this, you know, this grant is going to expire on this day. And so that did help her, you know, it felt like she needed to do something. And so she was either going to reapply for more grants, which to her didn't seem like the path she wanted to take. She had now been doing that, you know, every four years for like 20 years and more or less she was tired of it. She started Erskai, I think back in like the seventies over here at UT. And so she's now been doing it, you know, 30 years at this point and she's ready for a change. And I think the main thing that led her change was the ability to kind of be like me and you are today and like be self-sufficient. Like even though she owned her own company, you know, she had to do whatever the National Science Foundation wanted her to do. She had to do whatever these corporate partners wanted her to do. And she just wanted to write about science. She's like, I've been doing- She wanted to do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I've been doing what everybody wants me to do for 20 something years. And I see an opportunity here with the website to be self-sufficient to where I can just write about science and David can monetize it. And there's going to be a small team of editors that kind of do what I do. And then maybe David will get a little support team that does what he does. And so it took, it was probably like a four year process, like two years of the downturn, you know, letting people know in the organization that she's not going to be applying for another grant, you know, letting the office go was a big step. Like everybody goes to work from home and you're talking, this is like 2011. And so 2012, 2013. So working from home was a thing, but it wasn't like a yeah, big it thing. Like it is. Thing. No, yeah. it wasn't the thing. And so it took a lot of like decision-making and, you know, looking at the numbers and analyzing productivity, but she's always people first. And so here's where the opportunity came where, you know, I actually ended up starting my own businesses. She sat me down in her office. So after the conversations were going positive, the ad revenue keeps building. She sees an opportunity for one day being self-sufficient. She calls me in her office and says, Hey, David, we have another year that we could pay your salary under this old grant. I want you to go home and think about what you can do with your life in the free time and don't focus on Earth Sky for this next year and just build yourself an opportunity out there so that when these National Science Foundation grants run out and we can no longer pay your salary, you can still be a part of this team on a lower, you know, on a lower pay, essentially. She's like, I don't know what the pay is going to look like in a year, but I know it's not going to be just exactly the same. And so why don't you go out there and do something for yourself and then kind of treat Earth Sky as like the second job. And I think that, you know, together we can grow, you know, this little side hustle business that we're thinking of growing. And so again, she saw the vision. She, That's amazing. she let me go out there and just was like, don't come back to the office, you know, <laughs> work as little as you can while making the same paycheck that I've been paying you for the past like three years. And then just come back to me in a year and see what it looks like and see if you can't survive. So she knew I was young and I was a hustler and I wasn't just going to stick around for, you know, $18,000 a year. That wasn't enough to keep me around. She just didn't want to lose me. And she knew that if she didn't let, you know, she's investing in you. Yeah. Yeah. She was investing and she's like, go out there and do something for yourself. So in two years, maybe you don't quit me and you keep building this little thing and maybe we can build it back up. I think that's such an undervalued thing, especially in today's day and age where everyone's like me, 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 individualist. It's a lot of people around me and everybody that I see that is thriving, somebody invested in them and they're investing in somebody else. So it's not necessarily you're investing in a product or a service. It's like you invest in the people around you. And I think going from our education system where again, you're studying for the exam alone, you take the test alone, you get to your job where it's like, it's solely dependent on you. A lot of the times, like I remember working at UBS and like I would do work outside of my scope and I got basically 
put down because I wasn't just focused on my quote unquote work that was for my boss to then get me the raise. And I was like, why the hell is it like this? But when you work in the entrepreneurial world, like you have people investing in people because we know how important that is like to play the long game and to have great people around us. Cause at the end of any great product or service is what? Good people, good team, good company, good culture. And it just starts with these little initiatives of how do I invest in somebody else just because it's the right thing to do, even though I don't necessarily, like, she couldn't tell exactly what you're going to go off and do, but she believed in you. And that's something that I've experienced in my own life where I got a scholarship going to school, a family that was in real estate invested in high achieving scholar students. Um, and I never have experienced that before. And then even when I got into the entrepreneurial world, different people investing in me to get that at next level. But not everybody takes advantage of that. And that's where I'd love to get into the part of the story where you you took really good advantage of your time. What was the first thing you kind of like did as soon as she was <sighs> like, yeah, I'm going to let you loose, go build something. What was the first thing that you kind of ran after? I think the first thing was, you know, like I said, my family's in the car business. And so at that point, you know, I probably got some brothers with a car dealership or they're working for different local car dealerships. So the first thing I did was really call them and was like, Hey guys, I got some free time here. You know, you guys have always been tied up. One thing that really ties up a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of people that have an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, it's really like their debts and their bills and their yeah. income. So like they can't leave their job, you know, because they have this house, they have these cars, they have kids. And so they can't leave that, you know, $10,000 a month pay yeah. to start something new. And maybe they missed out on the opportunity. You know, maybe it's too late in their lives. They have too much debt and they just, it's very hard for them to make that jump. And so I gave them a call because I knew it was in their blood. And I was like, Hey, let's do something together. I got time. You know, you guys may have a little bit more money than me because they are older than me. Yeah. And so I gave them a call first. And um, one thing we thought of was selling salvage title cars. I don't know if you know what those are, but basically now run us through it. What is that? <laughs> so a salvage title car, if you get in like a little fender bender, you know, out on the road, sometimes your, your car may not be worth a lot of money. So when you send that claim into the insurance company, they'll say, hey, you know, it costs more to fix your car than your car is worth. And they're just going to send you a check. You know, sometimes it's a really bad accident that it makes sense that they're not yeah. going to fix that car. Other times it feels like a scam a little bit. You're like, wait, my car is not even broken. And you're telling me I can't get my car back. And so backtracking a little bit, that had actually happened to me. Somebody had hit me and I had bought this car like freshman year college and I had just paid it off like six months prior. It was a little Saturn and uh, somebody hit me and I was like, oh, cool. I'll, I'll just get the claim, whatever. I'll turn it in. And they gave me a call and they're like, we're not giving you your car back. We're sending you like a $3,000 check. And I was like, $3,000 like that, that does not pay. Like that car is worth way more to me than that $3,000 you're going to give me. And so then I realized like through some phone calls, I was like, wait, I'm allowed to buy this car back. So I could say, Hey, I don't want the $3,000. I want my wreck car back. And so I bought, and they're like, okay, cool. Well, if you want that car back, we'll give you a thousand dollars and your car. And I was like, okay, great. And then I went on my own and fixed the car through my own like side connects and figured out, you know, I fixed it for like 500 bucks. And so I was like, what are they doing here? And then, so then I saw an opportunity and with my brothers and the car business. So we started, you know, we started applying for our license to buy these like wrecked cars, you know, out at the auctions. And so we would go, we would inspect them. We'd be like, okay, like this is like a bad bumper. This is that, like we just had our own little strategy. And so we'd buy these cars, 
We'd run them around town, fixing them up, and then we'd resell them. They obviously have a, a much lesser value once they get the salvage title. They get a classified title that pretty much tells the buyer, like, hey, this car has been wrecked. And so then I would go in. You know, the sale was a little more difficult, but they were buying a car for like half the value of it. And so you could buy like, you know, a car that was worth 20 grand. If it has a salvage title, it might be worth 10. And we maybe got it for five and invested a little money in fixing it. And so we started just buying and selling salvage title cars all around town. And, and what did that lead to? It was pretty good, man. We built the business up and we were, you know, we started with one car. We got to like three or four cars. I think it's, um, what it, it, it went well and then it came crashing down. And I think one lesson I learned in that venture was that partnerships are very difficult. You know, it got to the point where even though it was family, which a lot of times is even harder, like I was doing all the work because I didn't have a job. And then I was splitting the money three ways. And I was like, you guys have a job and you have a job and I'm running all around town. Yeah. I'm doing the sales. I'm doing everything. And I don't feel like I'm getting compensated, you know, well enough. So either, you know, looking back, maybe we could have set the expectation a little more fairly, or maybe we could have divvied it up a little differently. Um, you know, what really was the downfall, it's kind of embarrassing, but I ended up selling a selling a car on payment so we were like we we're doing good we we're doing good we we're doing good and we we're like okay how do we take it to the next level and that's like financing cars right yeah. and so now you're getting the money on the sale and you're also getting the money on future payments and we had this calculation figured out where if we can make the buyer give us enough down payment to cover our cost so like we bought the car for three grand we spent a thousand fixing it up if we ask for a four thousand dollar down payment and then just set up and a payment plan, yeah, with finance interest, the rest yeah. for like the next two years. Like every payment is just profit. Yep. And so it sounded great. Well, here you go. David <laughs> gets the sale. I still remember the car. It was a pretty sweet Mazda 3. It had like 40,000 miles. Great deal. This, I, this customer of mine was, uh, ended up being a, a female entertainer here in town. <laughs> so she gave me the cash and she left town and never made another payment again. And it was pretty much like the end of the business because we didn't have a lot of cash left over. We couldn't buy any more cars. Like that, pay those payments were not coming in. One thing led to another. My brothers were all mad at me. Like, how did you sell the car? Did she give you pay stubs? Like, what happened there? And I was just like, I don't know what happened. Like, I th I didn't know you could just leave town too, with a car. Too nice. Yeah. Oh, it's like I didn't know that could happen. <laughs> hey, you live and you learn. But I mean, that's part of the universe. Is like you were not necessarily happy with the way the splits were going and everything like that anyway. So it was just like the world ended it for you, <laughs> yeah. but so that ended, but obviously that's another end to your paycheck. So kind of what was going through your head? I think I had to do something else. I was like, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do around that time? You know, I was working like digital marketing with our sky. I was still helping them out just from home minimally. Yeah. And so I really got into website and web design. And so I think I started pitching like some local people like, oh, the person that cuts my hair, hey, do you have a website? I would kind of spin up a little website for them, make a little bit of money, really get free haircuts. And I'll oh, come over here like my plumber. Hey, you got a website? <laughs> Let me make a website. I get free plumbing. I did that for a while. It wasn't really going to, you know, I wasn't passionate about it, you know, building websites yeah, for people. I was kind of stay afloat. So it wasn't really my thing, but it did lead me to my next venture, which was like, Hey, I can make my own website. Like what else is out here? And I really, you know, I had, I believed a lot in sustainability. I still do. And so I started what, what I called then clean green mowing. And so we bought electrical mowing equipment <laughs> and me and my roommates started mowing, mowing lawns, you know, all over the neighborhood. And we'd come in with our dinky little things and all the real lawn mowing people would really laugh at us because they're like, how are they mowing with like that dinky little electric mower and electric weed eater? It was really funny. Uh, 
we spun that up until one day it was just like too hot. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even like this. Like, I'm just trying to spin up businesses desperately. And so that's what really led me to float on. It's like, all right, I've tried a couple business now, three of them that I'm not passionate about. I was just trying to make money. I was like, all right, what's going to make money? Let me try that. What's going to make money? Let me try that. And so around that time, I think I, a little bit of me gave up and I was like, I need to go find another job. Like that was what I was thinking at the time. Like this isn't really going to pay my bills when earth sky's paycheck runs out. Yeah. So let me go find another job. Got on Craigslist and you know, my whole life I had boats. My dad had a boat, you know, thank you, dad grew up with the boat, always having access to like grew up here in Austin where boating is such a big deal. I went to one of the local marinas who had an ad ad posting for drivers. And I was like, man, that sounds right up my alley. Let me go drive some boats. And so that's what really got me into the, you know, the boat rental game and where I am today. Hell yeah. And were you reading any books or have any mentors or anybody? Cause it sounds like the first kind of like couple of businesses you were after a lot of people fall in the trap of again, building it for money and not realizing that long-term success is predicated on persistence and consistency. And it's way easier to be consistent with a business that you love versus something that feels like a job. Because if you're going to own a business, it can't feel like a job to you because you're going to be working like seven days a week, 14 hour days in the beginning of this business. Did you have any mentors or books or anything that were podcasts? Or anything I, don't, like I mean, that yeah, aside? I mean, there's like, there were radio series. There might've been a few podcasts, but no, the answer is no, I didn't. And so I was just out here trying to do it myself. You know, my dad was an engineer, his big thing, he always pokes at me and my brothers. He's like, man, I clocked in and I clocked out for 40 years and my life is good. Like, why are you guys out there, <laughs> you know, hustling? He's like, why don't you go back? To, he'll still tell me today. Like, what type of engineer was he? Clocking in and clock out. I think it was mechanical. So okay. he worked at Abbott Labs. It was one of the big factories here in town. And, you know, he's is just, he still here in town. Yeah, he's still here in town. And he retired. He got a pension, you know, just the old school way. So yeah. he clocked in. Well, that's why. Out. Like, this is why. I mean, one of the reasons I left was, okay, I worked at UBS Wealth Management. I saw people's 401ks. I saw that there's no more pensions. I'm just like, why am I going to work for so long and then not retire? Like, because what's happening right now is people are working and then they can't retire because they don't have enough money versus like, I might as well just enjoy myself while I'm working because who knows in 40 years, whether you're even going to be able to retire or people are just going to work till they die. So yeah. that's, that's the thing these days is just like, if you could build a business that where it's something that you love every single day, it's like, you're alive. You just feel alive. Yeah, no, I wish somebody would have told me that back in the day because I probably would have never started clean green mowing. That really sucked. <laughs> <laughs> really, How really long sucked. did that last? Oh, but I, I don't think we made it. We made it one summer and then whenever customers started calling like the next year, like in Texas, you know, your your lawn doesn't really grow in the winter. You don't really need a lawn care company in the winter. So come spring, they're well, like... Mine's not growing right now. It's like dead. Yeah, <laughs> like it's so, 100 degrees every yeah. single day. And so like I think customers started calling again and be like, oh, we really like what y'all did. We want y'all back. And then I started being like, man, we're not, we're not going to do another summer of this. And like, how many, so how many people like were, in, were mowing lawns with you? Oh, it was just me and my roommate. And so that's part of like, we were just out there grinding, just mowing Jesus. lawns, mowing lawns. And then we didn't know, you know, I wasn't reading a lot of books. I didn't have a lot of mentors. And so we were like charging less to try to get the business. And so we weren't making enough. And it kind of goes back to the same thing with the car business. Like I'm busting my ass. I'm not making any money. This is going nowhere. I don't even like what I'm doing. And so like, you know, now, I mean, at the time it was cool because I got this, you know, I had already bought my first home. And so I was you know, I had a lot of cool electrical lawn mowing equipment, which is what I wanted. And so it did, you know, that little business that I spun up did help pay for that stuff. And that's like a lot of what you do, you know? And so it's like, I, I wanted that stuff for me. And so I spun up a business so that it would pay for itself. And now I got this cool equipment, but I was like, uh, I don't want to do it anymore. And so I stopped that. I got the boat rental gig. I mean, that's really where things took off. You know, I started falling in love 
with boats in the lake again and showing people a good time. And, you know, it was my job at the time to be a captain and a few of the things that the owner of that company was doing, that company was called blue sky, which is kind of funny because it's Earth sky, sky, blue sky. sky. Yeah. <laughs> total coincidence. But, uh, the owner then was really an old school mentality. Nothing like Debbie, nothing like a visionary. You know, I, I do all my tasks for the day and I'd come inside and be like, Hey, let me look at your internet marketing. You know, I, I think there's some things that you're missing out on that you could be doing better. And he'd be like, man, David, just go clean some more boats, please. Like, stop coming in here. And I'd be like, all right, man, I'm just trying to help you out. Yeah. Like, I, all I'm trying to do is help you out. Like, I'm out there and I did my job and I got nothing else to do. And I'm trying to make use of my time instead of just sit around. But I guess if you just want me to go out there and sit around, you know, I'll go sit around. And so it was a couple of objections like that. Like there's the good owner and boss and there's a bad owner and boss that lets you like, that really shapes who you are as an entrepreneur. And I think, unfortunately, Brandon and Blue Sky was not a good owner, not a good boss, you know, and it really got me going home at the end of the night and thinking, man, if this guy can do this, I can definitely do this because he's not leveraging technology he doesn't put customer service first. He doesn't take care of his employees. Like so many things that, you know, my generation really wanted. Yeah, you learned by doing, yeah. Yeah, learned by doing and like by talking to my friends, you know, we were, you know, we were after like that that additional service. Like we didn't want to rent a boat that was 25 years old. Like we'd rather yeah. pay more for a new boat. And like he wasn't reinvesting in the boats. Like we didn't want you know, somebody to bust our balls when we came back and there was like a tiny little ding that just happened because we were partying. It's like, that seemed like something natural. Whereas the old school way is like, Oh, we're going to charge your credit card 500 bucks because you did this little tiny damage. You know, I felt really bad. It's the nature doing of that. the business. Like, yeah. And that's so that's what I was seeing. I was like, man, there's a better way to do this. Yeah, and so that. that got me spinning up and kind of like with mowing, you know, it was a seasonal thing. And so I, I put in my time, I worked that whole summer, you know, my brain was spinning the whole off season and you know, that whole off season, I went home and I just was like, man, I'm gonna do this myself. You know, I'm just going to do it. I'm gonna buy a boat. I'm gonna finance it. I'm gonna build a website. I'm so a, we're, were you with your wife at this time? Uh, yes, we were still dating at the time, but we've been dating since college. So this whole time, I'm what was her. she thinking about all this? Well, she saw it too. She was like, you can be doing more with your life. Like, especially around the, the initial, like when earth guy first, like kind of told me to go home, I did what a lot of people would do in the beginning. And I went home and I started playing a lot of FIFA and just <laughs> hanging out and like, Oh, like, right. The next idea will fall in my lap. And she would come home from her job and be like, the what you do you all day? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I, oh, I did like, I did the dishes. I think I did something else. Like she's like, you need to do more with your life. So That's... she was a big motivator of like, you were meant to do more than sit around playing video games and just cash checks all day. Like do what Debbie wants you to do and go find something that yeah, you that want. was that. I remember when I quit and that was one of our conversations is like, Aaron's like, well, what are you going to do with your time? And what she didn't realize was in like my head, I was like, I'm going to work harder than I ever have because like, I'm afraid to like ever lose, like I didn't want to lose her. So I was just like, I need to be doing so much. And literally in that first month, I was like, I remember get like two certifications, read like three books, was taking a course, whatever it is. Um, because that's, again, it kind of puts that fire under your butt where as soon as you realize, I mean, that playing FIFA for a little bit is not going to harm, harm anybody. It's just like, you, you got to take that chill pill um, to kind of figure out where you want to go because if you're just running around spending your energy, it doesn't help you anyway. But so you got done that first summer and then was, was float on always float on. Like, how did you, how did you, I'm huge on like the story of name and like, how did you think of float on and like, what was the first iteration of it? What did it look like? Well, so I didn't, I just thought, let me buy a boat and let me rent it. Let me build a website and I'm just going to 
you know, rent this boat, whether it be through Craigslist, whether it be through Facebook. Like I felt like if I bought a boat and put it at the water, like somebody would rent it. And so it started with that, like just the idea. And then. So you didn't even have a brand or anything. Nothing. It was just like I had a business model. Yeah. It was like, Hey, if I buy a boat, I can rent it. I can make some money and things are going to happen. And around that time I realized like, Hey, I probably need a business name. I got to register this thing. Like started like once I decided I was going to buy a boat and I started like building a website. That's when I was like, okay, I need something going on. And the story of the name goes along with what I still believe in today. And that's leveraging other experts in the field and other partners. So I had a friend at the time that owned a digital media company and he still does tilted chair creative. He's one of my good friends, Jamie Rodriguez goes way back, I think elementary school days. So I hit him up and I was like, Hey man, you have a successful digital marketing agency or marketing agency or PR agency. I'm not even sure what they do, like full service, <laughs> full stack agency. Yeah. yeah, they do it all. And they're a bunch of, you know, we're all local here. And so that helps a lot. And so they're a bunch of like UT kids that built this company, like five experts, six experts. I don't know their story. I'm probably butchering it, but pretty cool story. <laughs> if you go check it out, Tilted Chair Creative. So I, I hit him up and I was like, hey, Jamie, haven't, you know, long time. I know we grew up together, but we weren't like best friends or anything like that. And I was like, hey, I'm going to buy some boats. They're two pontoons. Um, I know you have a marketing agency or agency, you know, what do you think about helping me design a logo and maybe coming up with a name? And I think I said, I have like $500 (laughs) and that's whatever it took him like three days to hit me back. And he was like, honestly, our prices start at many, many thousands, Yeah, but let me see if I get some free time. I'll throw it on the team and let's just see what we come up with. And man, like a couple of weeks later, he sent me like five potential names and like different logos. And I was, I couldn't, I was like, man, th- Jamie, thank you so much. You know, I can't believe that you would do this for me for no money. And, um, you know, again, he asked me to pick from the five and I just deflected back to him. And I was like, I wouldn't have come to you if I thought I was an expert in this. So if you guys just pick your favorite name and your favorite logo, like I'm going to go with that because you guys know what you're doing. Like that's not, although I had a marketing background, I had zero real experience. Just like, trusting. Branding and naming. Yeah. So I trusted the experts you know, they picked float on. I rolled with float on. I had a logo, I had a name and on we were. Hell yeah. So where did you get the capital to buy the first two boats? Just financed them. So, um, around the college days when I was selling cars, I was able to learn how important credit was, you know, whenever people would come in here, they really wanted a new car, you know, their credit wasn't good enough and they couldn't get it. And so I learned early on the importance of credit and leveraging like debt and finance. And so, you know, I had bought a house early on. It wasn't necessarily my dream home, but I knew that that was a big first step to like establishing yourself credit, in yeah. credit. And so like I bought a car in college. It was like an Audi A6. It was awesome. It was really used. But, you know, I convinced my dad to co-sign because <laughs> I told him like, hey, I need to build my credit. And he was like, you just want this car. And I, I probably did, but I really did want to build my credit. So I bought a car in college under my name, co-signed with my dad. I was able to get a house you know, pretty early on because I had already bought that car. It's like my, here's my credit, you know, was, was very important at a young age. I knew how important it was going to be. And so whenever I needed to get a boat, I just went to the dealership and got a boat. Like, I think it was like zero down. They'll finance a boat for like 20 years. I don't know why, because they won't last 20 years, but your payment can be like super low on a boat. It's much longer than a car. And so I just signed up for this, like, you know, $200 a month payment on a boat. I built a website and I think I just started taking reservations after that and just fulfilling them. So you get these two boats and you spin up your website. I'm huge on teaching, like, don't follow the, if I build it, they will come model. Cause a lot of people think like I bought the two boats, 
I have the website now, like things are just going to be great. What were some of the hiccups in the beginning of starting this venture? Well, it's definitely like, so you have those things, right? And then now it's like, how are you going to get people to the website? That's going to be the next thing. And so it was challenging at first, you know, we had to spend money really. I think we, we relied on Google ads a lot, a lot of Google search ads. And so I, I learned about Google search ads through EarthSky. You know, I was able to play around and learn with their money, essentially learn how to like focus on keywords and what it meant and like how that translated into sales and like different competitors. And so like boating was a nice little niche where there wasn't a lot of search competition for all y'all that know about, you know, Google ads and search ads, you know, the price is driven by competition. If nobody else is bidding on boat rental ads, then you can get your foot in the door for like less than a dollar a click. And so I started just investing in Google ads, trying to get people to our website paying as much money as I could. And then the other side of it was obviously SEO. Like my website was nowhere to be found on like the first four pages. And so I, I kind of focused on SEO and Google, just getting people to the website. That was the main focus. And so I would, you know, I would try to optimize my ads, get people to the website, see who converted and sent me a submission form or called. And then secondly, I was emailing, I was scrubbing different lists of people that could link back to my website. Early on, I thought like the the backlinking would be real big to the overall success of our SEO and our website. So I would hit up like different like hotels or Airbnbs. And it's just a numbers game. I remember like staying up to like 3 a.m. emailing like 50 people. And the next day, like three would hit me back. And of those three that hit me back, maybe only like one would link to me. Well, you do that every single day, weeks and weeks and weeks and months. Like next thing you know, my website started like kind of climbing up. And then I started blogging. You know, the things that EarthSky taught me were important to gaining traffic to your website. I used at my own float on boat rentals, you know, company. And so I was blogging, I was keyword stuffing, I was backlinking. And so that was growing my page organically while at the same time I was paying for ads that got people there too, which was actually fulfilling the boat rentals. And then if you've ever been in Austin in a summer, these boats kind of sell themselves, you know, I was also, (laughs) it was an easy place to be. You're hitting the money with like, a lot of people are, when they try to start a business, they try to roll the ball uphill. They haven't really thought through, where's there a problem that I can solve? And problems are usually solved with, okay, I've never run a boat rental company, but I'm going to go, what you did was go into a boat rental company, see what kind of problems that I feel like I can solve with my own thing. And you took your past experiences in a completely different, you went from industry to industry to industry. And I'm very bullish on surrounding myself with people that are so I would say they have a variety of skills because they've been in a variety of different places and you hit the nail on the head with, because you took those other experiences, you were solving the problem in a completely different industry with industry knowledge you learned somewhere else. And it's funny because I talked to my dad, who's an engineer um, and he has an RV right now. And he keeps telling me like how, when they travel around, like all these RV parks absolutely suck. And like working with the RV companies are terrible because they're still using like faxing and paper. Like they're not digital at all. And I'm like, dad, like this is your opportunity. (laughs) Like, right. Like I'm not going to drop everything I'm doing right now to go work on RVs. But if you're passionate, like this is your retirement, right? Like you can literally spin up even like a little web app. He says he has a problem with like finding locations to stay overnight, like when they're traveling and then where to park and different things, where to keep the RV and stuff like that. Um, And when he gets it fixed, like 
it's all still paper yeah, rather than crazy. automated. Rather yeah. like when I go to Mazda, it's like, this is what's being done. And here's a picture like that doesn't really exist right now. Um, I'm like, there's so much opportunity there. That's leverage your experience in technology, bring it to this world that doesn't have it. That would be the ball rolls downhill. Like yep. if you do that, it just starts rolling downhill. Just like people rent boats in Austin regardless. Right. So you kind of were like, okay, I understand I need to get into this digital world. Now, I think what really separates you is your branding and like your focus on culture and brand compared to not a lot of other people, I think, in the boating world or even in recreational things like that, really focus on branding. How did you know to do that? Oh, well, that didn't come until about year four or five. And so, you know, in the early days, you got to pay the bills. How am I going to pay this boat payment? You know, how, how am I going to make sure that the marketing dollars I'm spending, you know, come back in the form of revenue? And so we started, you know, the Google ads started working, the website started getting traffic, the submissions started coming in. I also mixed that with a few like local partnerships, like pretty much in Austin, everybody's boats get sold out. And so as a new guy, you go to, to like one of the more reputable companies and you're like, Hey, send me your leftover. Simple as that. Like when you don't have a boat for these people, just send them to us. And so kind of all those things mixed started sending us rentals. And so, you know, for the first few years, like I'm driving boats, you know, I'm getting my friends to drive boats. We're just making these rentals happen. You know, I'm not having to take a salary, which is great. I'm able to reinvest everything into the company. So we go from like two boats to four boats to like six boats to all these employees. And I mean, we're just grinding, grinding, grinding year in and year out. It wasn't until about, year four where, you know, it felt like the, the SEO, you know, work I had been doing started really paying off. We're starting to show up on the first page of Google and I'm starting to really question why I'm still doing Google search. And so at the time, you know, growing up in Austin, just for fun, there's always been like the big name, just for fun, just for fun, just for fun. They did a real good job branding and they did a real good job growing and they've just always been around. And so I remember, you know, looking at Santana, my wife now, and I was like, man, I just want to be cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm investing in rentals <laughs> and I'm investing money in rentals and everything that I do just goes towards getting rentals. Like I wonder what would happen if I shifted and just try to be cool. Like I just want people to think of float on when they think of boat rentals. And it was just like a redistribution of dollars essentially at the time was, I, was what I learned. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, investing $500 a month in search. Like what happens if you invest that into like more of a branding strategy? So I started looking around. IG was really big. I think I, I reached out to a couple like influencers. One of the main ones that's really helped me take off is 365 Austin. You know, I realized what it took to get in the door. A lot of it has to do with dollars, dollars and like working with the right company. So I, got, I brought them out. They liked what we were doing. They pitched me on what it took to work with them. And that kind of got me like started on the whole branding world. And so once I started doing that for a little bit longer, people in the community started noticing who we were. You know, I, I saw that it worked. And so year two, I was like, man, let's just keep doing branding. Like this is fun. You know, the rentals are happening you know, which I was lucky or blessed because it felt like it was in cruise control. Like the bills were paying themselves. The employees are making money. Rentals are happening. Now we're focusing on branding where maybe like I'm throwing out a thousand dollars a month. That's not going to immediately come back to the business. You know, the ROI is a little bit more difficult to measure when you start just trying to be cool. And so luckily for me, the business was going and the dollars were there. And so I didn't have to justify every single dollar I spent didn't have to be justified by some like return on income. You know, I yeah, was, you could have a cool idea and just put it out into the world and just see what happens on later. Yeah, down. exactly. And so it was just like 
trial and error. I was like, Hey, what happens if I throw money over here? What happens if I, you know, this magazine that comes in my mailbox, does anything happen here? Does anything happen here? And so I was learning more through experience and like trying not to get sold because everybody that sells their product is going to make it out to be like this, you know, amazing thing. Oh, this goes to thousands of people. They're definitely going to rent your boats. And it was just trial and error. It's like, all right, let's see what this does. Oh, it didn't do anything. Let's see what this does. And more and more social media started taking off. And I would have people like, you know, I'd meet at the bar. It's like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I own Float On. It's like, oh, I've heard of y'all. Aren't y'all like whatever? And I was like, man, this person's never come out with us. They've like, <laughs> they don't know anything about me, but yet they've heard of me. Like something is working. And so, you know, just the whole like social test. Like I wasn't relying on data or reports. I was just out in the real world making friends who had said they had heard of me, even though they had never used our company. And so it was definitely working. And so that, that helped me want to do it more. You know, it's like, oh, this is working. Business is working. Like we're making money. My employees are happy. And then that came like the next like shift in mindset. And once we got to like, I don't even know how many boats, like 10, 12 boats, you know, it started being less about the end user. I stopped driving boats, you know, eventually I got too busy. And so now in my head, I was like, man, I want to take care of my team. You know, I want my friends and family who at the time consisted of a majority of my workforce. I want them to experience the freedom that I experience doing something you love, you know, for a living and making decent money at it. So a lot of times, you know, you go out and tell people, oh, like I drive boats for a living. They're like, oh, like, but what else do you do? Like that can't be enough, you know, to make a living. And so it was like my personal goal for it to be enough. It's like, how can these boat captains make like 40 to 60K a year? You know, how can they have a reputable income, a reputable living to where they're not embarrassed to tell people they work for a boat rental company? So once I shifted from like, consumer. Yeah. Because those are your biggest salesmen is your, yeah. those, that's your biggest uh, talk trigger where the people that work for you in that culture, they're, they're all going to go to the bar or go do their own little thing. And if they're happy, they're going to tell everyone else about what they do. Rather, it seems like again, in, in these types of industries, just like if I work at a bar as a bartender, it's like, do you really want to tell people you're a bartender? But if yeah. the bar is like making you good money and you get to talk to and have conversation with really cool people all the time. Like that's a great job. Like yeah. if you love doing it, right? Yeah, so it's, it's great. Just like- and then like, I mean, we were lucky to be in Austin where, you know, people don't really care, at least back then, like how much you make. It's more yeah. about like, what's your free time like? And it's like, yeah. oh, I'm off all winter or I'm hanging out at Zilker Park on a Wednesday because I work Saturday. And so that was cool to people. And so we had a lot of, you know, attractive components to our job. But it was my personal mental shift from like consumer. Like I was really worried about, you know, the people that were renting my boats and their experience on the boats. You know, it finally got to the point where I stopped worrying about the consumer and my main focus was my employees and my people. And I was like, all right, like how can I make sure that my employees are happy and that they're making enough money and that they're growing personally? And so once the branding shift, like once once I started shifting one more shift to just focused on employees, like that's when really culture started spinning up. By then I had read a few more books. Like we're really big on the Zappos book, Tony Ashish, I forget the name of the book, but um, he's real big on culture and how important it was to him. I think he has a story about how somebody called Zappos to like order a pizza because they were drunk and they called the wrong number. And instead of like the salesperson just being like, oh, this is a shoe place, not a pizza place. They like, they were the middleman and helped them order a pizza. And the pizza (laughs) showed up at that person's door and like 
Tony Ashish is like super proud of that moment because that's what he wanted the culture to be. And that represented their culture. Like, Hey, you're going to treat everybody here with respect and their, you know, float on kind of stands for that nowadays. And I'm super proud of it. And I think it has to do with, you know, how well we take care of our people and how they, they actually feel like real people in our company that are cared. And that's a man. That's why, that's how even you and I got connected where um, it's so cool for me because when I think back to how we actually got connected, everything you're talking about is spot on where you're talking about like the branding and the social media. Cause literally for those that are listening, I, me and my other friend, Scott tweeted at float on and they responded. Um, and we tweeted at float on cause we we're looking at different boat rental companies. Like, Oh, this is the one that gets it quote unquote, because we're all into social media and creating content and doing cool things, um, in exchange for a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, so me and my buddies who have drones and cameras were like, man, it would be really cool to get our friends out on a boat and like capture that experience. But we also know that like, that's super valuable for the boat rental companies. And like a lot of them, when we were looking them up, they just don't understand it versus yours is the one we targeted because of the exact representation that you were basically just running us through right now. And long story short, we tweeted at David and he, he was like, yeah, like would love to have you guys out. And so he got us out there on a weekday and man, we loved it. And then when I love an experience, like I always want to undersell and over provide. So then we like give the content and then reach out to you again uh, for another one and we do it again. And then like, didn't hear from you for a couple months, but then come the fall, we started talking again. And that's when I was just like, no, this company, everything you were talking about, we kind of, we kind of vibe. So I loved how you just went through all that because not only do you say it, like it literally happens um, and your relationship first. And I just got to see as soon as I learned, learned the back end because in the beginning, I didn't even meet who you were. Like when I wanted to float on, like I just was there and Inter- yeah, interact with their just, captains, yeah, right? Captains, and it was exactly. it was always an amazing experience, and our friends always loved it. Um, and you earned brownie points with me because I'm married, <laughs> and my father-in-law and mother-in-law they have a boat down the shore. So when we go there, we go to, we go on the boat. Um, so we miss that, and then Aaron gets to go out on the boat. So it was a great experience from top to bottom. And then I started doing more research into what you guys do and and who you serve. Um, and then got to meet you, and then this year really see your team and how if you guys haven't if you're here in the ATX or even if you're a tourist thinking about coming in here, I definitely uh, recommend going out there. It's an amazing experience. Um, but I'd love to speak a little bit about where you guys are at today and where you're trying to go. Like what's what's the latest and greatest? Obviously, I know this because we talk behind the scenes, <laughs> but um, yeah, what, what are you looking forward to to end 2020 and then 2021? Yeah, so 2020, you know, obviously got off to a rocky start with the COVID-19 pandemic that has affected a lot of small businesses. So in the early days, just to give you a little preface, you know, March, April, May, whenever we were closed was super rough. You know, we were worried about what it was going to look like. We were worried about how our business is going to make money. Typical entrepreneur that I am, I didn't just sit back. I spun up a little online store. I spun up a little like raffle to make sure that the money went to our employees, employees first, you know, how are these employees going to survive this little shutdown? you know, so that they don't have to go get other jobs, you know, much like Debbie said. And so that whenever we do open again, boom, they're all just firing. And so that was my main focus. And man, boy, did it pay off because as soon as the governor opened the doors and allowed us to work again, we have just been just so busy. Like the local demand has been there. You know, I can't thank 
everybody enough in the Austin area for coming out and experiencing the lake and, you know, supporting our small business. I know a lot of what the government, you know, stimulus and a lot of the stuff that they put forward, you know, it's there so that folks get this money and they go stimulate the economy by supporting small businesses. And so, you know, I just feel lucky that, you know, a lot of locals come to us. And so we've been packed, I mean, you know, we're full, we're fully booked, you know, almost every weekend, you know, we're, we're looking for new opportunities now to where we can make money on like our slower days. And so the future for 2020 and 2021, you know, involves working with you and really brainstorming how we grow our revenue model without just necessarily buying more boats and employing more people. So for the last like six, seven, eight years, it's like, oh, well, like how many more boats are we going to buy? How many more boats are we going to buy? Like we fully book up all the time. How many more boats are we going to buy? And so year after year, like last year, I think we bought four. The year before that, I think we bought four. So we just keep buying and buying, but you know, it does come with new challenges. Like I think our are, we're up to about like 36 employees, I think is the latest right now. And so we can't just keep going forever. Like the Marina, you know, only gives us so many slips, you know, they're starting to notice us more than ever. Like, Hey, you, your, your company's taking up all the parking, you know, these people are doing this. Yeah. And you want to keep your reputation. Yeah. And so we're starting to, I mean, we're not losing our reputation, but at a time where everything was positive, there's starting to be a few things coming in that make me realize, okay, we can't just go from 12 to 24 boats. Like yeah. there's gotta be something else. And so, you know, that's where I'm super grateful to have met you and really we're coming in here once a week and brainstorming. All right, how can we, you know, use what we got now and maybe make a new branch of float on that could, you know, bring us additional revenues without creating more stress on our operations. And so I think through working with you, I've been able to step my foot in the door um, with a lot of corporate partners this year. So like we've been working with Bumble, Cliff Bar, Rice Coffee, FC Austin just hit me up. And so it's opening my eyes to like this new world that I didn't know was there. And some of these people, while they are like more long drawn out sales processes, they have budgets and they have marketing dollars that they can throw our way. So Bumble, you know, thanks to them, they were one of the first ones that came out and used us earlier in the year, paid us some money. We flew their flags, we distributed their product and they really just made a splash on Lake Travis. And, you know, looking back, I, I was like, wow, they are so smart. Cause I had never thought of this idea. They thought of the idea. They used experiential us. marketing. Yeah. yeah experiential marketing. It was great. And so they paid us some money. You know, I gave some of that money to all my captains and I was like, Hey, I know some of y'all may not want to fly a bumble flag. <laughs> I know some of these customers are going to be like, why is there a bumble flag? I was like, you know, make the most of it and flip them. You know, here's some money. Like, it's not even from me. Yeah. It's from Bumble. Like, yeah. do a good job. And so that was also, you know, I think you and I strategized and then you get, on that. And then you get buy-in from everybody. It's like, hey, like, this is, we're, we're going to work with cool people and different yep. brands. And like, and that's the thing. Like, it's not, there's no competition. Like, yep. it's people first. And if you work with good people, whether it's in your company or in somebody else's company, there's always something we can spin up. Like tell, tell the audience about the, the P. Terry's thing that you did. Yeah. And so then like once Bumble does this, you know, everyone starts noticing and hitting me up. And so I think P. Terry's, we had a relationship with them that goes back a few years. Really cool. You know, it doesn't really involve like money, but like they'll come out and cook burgers for my team and then I'll like take their team out on a boat ride. And so before that, it was just kind of like trade, but they hit me up and they're like, Hey, the, the CEO wants to make a splash on Lake Austin. He wants to come out on one of your boats and just throw burgers. 
at other boaters that go by <laughs> and like just kind of make a name for himself on the lake. And so it was really cool. I got to go out, you know, at the time I was like, well, this is cool. Like CEO of P. Terry's, they're a cool local brand, cool local business. Like, so whenever opportunities like that come up, just like the FC Austin, like I want to make sure I'm there. And so I booked him a boat. I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Let's just do it. You know, we got, we have a pre-established relationship. And so, you know, it kind of felt like they didn't really have a budget for it, but they were wondering what I could do. I was like, sure, just come on out. Let's go. We'll get our media team. Uh, you've taught me like, you know, there's more benefits to working with these people than just like the money they're going to pay you. Like, well, let's get them out. You know, let's get some kick-ass footage. Let's put it on social media. Like we're going to get a lot out of this deal. Let's just go do it. And then, you know, it was a lot of fun. And along the way, I made relationships with, you know, yeah, the CEO of P. Terry's. And since then, we've had coffee a few times. We've had really good talks. We've talked about, like, our vision is, like, similar and potentially float on employees being able to go to the executive offices at P. Terry's and learning from them. And so it's just really cool, you know, to work with these brands and these other and I know, love, CEOs. I love that because what you some of the discussions we had is you were talking to them about, like, the education, like, education side of entrepreneurship and, like, leveraging each other to educate not only have boat captains that can make 40 to 60K a year, but also learn how to potentially run their own business and stuff like that um, in the future. And then leveraging other business owners and CEOs to then a lot of what they want to do is give back. And it's really just the law of reciprocity is what kind of I was trying to bring in is like, hey, like you've been heads down in your business for so long that like you're such a good person and a good people person that if you kind of, meet this next tier of people. I mean, you meet them this year, you never know next year because of that one idea that you had, what they're going to come to you with. And that that's the beauty of entrepreneurship is we're all kind of playing the same game and there's no competition beside yourself. Um, but before we sign off, I'd love, cause we were mentioned like franchising and stuff like that. So I'd love to hear the latest on your thoughts on that. And if that's still a thing, um, because again, it would be cool to see this grow beyond Austin and, and other location, especially like if people are making 40 to 60 K and learning how to, how to run a business. Is that still something that's on the, in your mind? Yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's top of my mind because, you know, I look back to young David in college in these entrepreneurial programs. And I think back like the trials and tribulations that I had. And I wish somebody would have told me then just do what you love. Like you love the lake go chase that and figure that out. And so I would love to be able to create an environment where I can go to other college campuses potentially and find the young David and be like, Hey, you want to like open a boat rental company in your city? There's a lot of college campuses around water and I think it could work. Like they could build the team. They could use some of the marketing and branding techniques that I've learned and they could really spin it up, you know, with our culture. And so I'm, I'm passionate about that. I think if I was able to do that one day, I'd be really proud. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in that field. And so I don't know what it's going to take to really get started and really like take it to that next level. It might take some investor. It might take one of my local guys to really want to move somewhere. So it's on my mind and I'm working towards it, but I'm kind of waiting on that next sign, you know, before going all into it. So I think there's a, I think there's more opportunities, lower hanging fruit with like corporate sales, maybe dabbling in some boat sales. I went out to Arkansas the other day and saw, you know, a really cool boat manufacturer and they want me to bring their boat line to Austin. So I'm working on figuring out other ways to use what I got in Austin to continue to raise capital because I think, 
when it comes to franchising, we're probably going to have to have some upfront yeah. capital. I don't think, I don't think we're going to be able to go to a new city and rely on like five years of growth to one day be profitable. You know, I think you're going to have to have the income to kind of pay for a team salary, maybe to pay for a year up or two of expenses. Make, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, so I think it's going to have to be a different model to where I'm going to have to, you know, that might still be like two, three, four years away, you know, but I mean, if I was to be able to get there, it would check a lot of like personal boxes that I want to accomplish. You know, I want to see young people doing what they love, whipping up new businesses and, you know, continuing down the path of entrepreneurship. I would love to see that. So, Hell yeah. And I think that's a great ending point. And man, this has been such a powerful conversation. I'm, I'm really happy. I got to learn a little bit more about where you came from and how you actually grew this thing into what it is today. Cause I enjoy it thoroughly. And just from the bottom of my heart, thank you for what you do because you allow me to continue to do what I love. And my wife and I were literally sitting here talking last night. It was just like, I, I posted a video today um, where five years ago we had our first date here in Austin, Texas. And like cool. a lot of move into Austin was finding ourselves and basically surrounding ourselves with people we love to be around and work on things we love. And like, I mean, you've seen me out on the boats. I fucking love uh, <laughs> yeah. being out there, ju cliff jumping and jumping off the boat and hanging out, drinking, playing good music, flying my drone. Like that is like the coolest thing for me. And the fact that I get to be creative in my entrepreneurial life and then also do something where it's relaxing and I can have fun. Like that's the perfect mixture and you provide that for so many people. So thank you for, from me and then from all the people that you provide that service to, but where can our audience find you at? Where can they connect with you? Floatonboatrentals.com. They could check out our website. They can follow our IG, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. We're <laughs> everywhere. We just spread it out. So just look for us. Hell yeah. So that's at Float On Boat Rentals on IG. That's probably the, the easiest way to find them or go to floatonboatrentals.com. Any last parting words before we sign off? No, thanks for having me. Uh, I love working with you guys and everybody at Thrive. So thank you. Hell yeah. Well, looking forward to continuing this conversation and uh, maybe even having an interview out on the boat or something. Like, yeah, let's do that we next time. That'd this, be awesome. Like, maybe I can spin up a way where we can use our different our other mics and, and show uh, the people what Float On actually looks like. But some of the things that David hit on today, which were really critical for myself to hear and then maybe for you to hear is the biggest thing I think was being able to pivot and take your skills with you and not really having any expectations. So one of the things I've been working on recently is focusing less on achievement and more on fulfillment. And what David seems to have run through in his life is he started his job at Wells Fargo and then was able to pivot into a nonprofit and now runs this company float on. And that what that takes is the ability to just dive into things without expectation and really just start seeking that fulfillment. And right now, uh, he is the epitome of that with the film fulfillment side of it. And then obviously the ability to grow a business and bring other people fulfillment through that. So it's one of the things we strive to do here at Thrive. So I want to leave you with that. So if you're not feeling fulfilled right now, uh, definitely reach out to David or myself. We'd love to help. Um, and yeah, until next time, guys, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. On behalf of our small team behind the scenes and myself, thank you so much for listening to another one of our Thrive on Life episodes. The time you spend with us is very much appreciated. As mentioned before the show, our mission is always to help those around us get better. We fully understand that we can go so much further in life together as a team, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. 
So if you're interested in joining our community, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. Within this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement. Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. This aspect is critical to our world becoming a better place for everyone, and we are proud of our group because it represents this. For other updates on the podcast community and business, please join our weekly mailing list. We'd love to hear from you. And before I leave you, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.